Okay, so back on June 2nd, 2019, it was the middle of a Sunday service at McLean Bible Church in Virginia. That's just outside of Washington, D.C. And do you know who the pastor there is? No. It's a guy named David Platt. Ah, I know David. Yeah. Okay, so David Platt, he had just finished his sermon. He steps off stage as the congregation prepares to take communion together. Uh, But when he steps off stage, he's suddenly pulled aside and he's told this. The president of the United States is on his way here, and he wants you to pray for him on stage. So, Lachlan, what would you do in that situation? (laughs) I don't know. I'm so stressed thinking about this even, and the question of it. I don't know. It would be a hard one. Well, it was a hard one. So here's what he ended up writing later about that moment. He said, Sometimes we find ourselves in situations that we didn't see coming, and we're faced with a decision in a moment when we don't have the liberty of deliberation. So we do our best to glorify God. Today, I found myself in one of those situations. So President Trump does arrive, and he walks onto the stage, and David Platt prays for him. The whole ordeal from the time the president arrived at the church to the time that he left, it lasted about 15 minutes. The next day, though, David Platt ended up posting a public apology to his congregation, acknowledging that members were hurt by the president's appearance on stage. And some people in his congregation are like, thank you for the apology. But others are saying you should not have apologized. Yeah. And then some people are saying the very fact that you even apologize is offensive because you shouldn't have to apologize. But then other people are saying you should have never done it in the first place and I won't accept your apology. So David Platt suddenly, like, finds himself, you know, getting it from all sides. Wow. So people started tweeting about it. Uh, here's one person. They said, you did great, brother. So glad he chose your church among so many. And another person said, if I'm ever in such a position, I pray that I'll respond as you did. But then other people responded by saying, would Platt have offered a similar photo op to an abusive husband who's publicly gaslighting his spouse and kids? <laughs> Gosh, that that escalated. (laughs) Another person says, afraid of losing that 501c3 benefit, huh? Pathetic. But here's what I think this situation does illustrate for us. It illustrates that, you know, even as I tell the story, everyone's got an opinion. Yeah. Everyone's got an opinion on, did David Platt do the right thing, the wrong thing? What's the president's intention, his, you know, his motive? And whatever opinion you state publicly prepare yourself for the onslaught of people coming against you believing that what you're saying is ridiculous. Yeah. And as Christians, we find ourselves going, what the heck do I do? You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lachlan Coffey. Every episode, we hear stories of social justice and Christian community. Today's episode is where the gospel meets politics. And if you're like me, then you'd rather jump into a pile of broken Legos. But here we are. And before we get into what we are going to specifically talk about, let us just say that we're not going to tell you who to vote for, and we're not going to endorse any particular party. Instead, we're going to take a look at the polarization of politics in our country and why this polarization causes two major problems for Christians. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. (laughs) 
So, Lachlan, who did you vote for in the last presidential election? Wait. Is this... Are we... Lachlan, Lachlan, who'd you vote for? I don't feel comfortable right now. In the microphone. Say it. Say it. I voted for... Okay, so depending on what answer you just gave, like half of our listeners Uh, think you're amazing and the other half don't want to listen to this episode anymore. I don't like how I feel right now. But that's like, but that's how we roll with politics right now, right? Yeah. So even this week, you know, the impeachment hearings are happening. And shockingly, just a few days ago, Christianity Today, the largest evangelical publication. So we're talking about a publication founded by Billy Graham came out with an article that was entitled President Trump Should Be Removed from Office. So even among the church, like, it's just such a lightning rod time right now where you have a ton of folks that just feel so strong in one direction politically, another direction politically, and then you have a whole bunch of people that just feel like, I don't even know where I land anymore. So luckily, there was a recent study about Pew Research asking folks what they thought of the opposing political party. And listen to this. Here's what people said. 49% of Republicans said that they are outright afraid of the Democratic Party. And 55% of Democrats said that they fear the Republican Party. Half of the party is basically afraid of the other party. Yeah, and not just that they disagree with them. I mean, they're saying that they are afraid of them. I I heard recently that when people bring, like, their boyfriend or girlfriend home to meet the parents, like, that's one of the first questions that now parents ask, like... Is political association? Yeah. What party are you, you know? Wow. Which is crazy to me that that's, like, determines affection for this person. Right. Or disdain. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And, yeah, in fact, we're seeing polarization rates that are comparable to the time of slavery and the Civil War. I mean, folks are really on very opposing sides right now. And part of the reason for this is what's called negative polarization. I told you not to use big words around me. You're going to have to explain yourself. Okay, so negative polarization, here's what it means. If you're a Republican, it's not because you like and agree with all Republican ideals and values. It's just because you really don't like Democrats and you don't like their values. And vice versa. Democrats are Democrats only because they really dislike Republican leaders and Republican values. Yeah, so it's it's kind of building out this mentality of us versus them. It, it shapes us for like, you know, that there's only two options. It's our side or their side, no one else, right? Yeah, but when we look at scripture, we see that when it came to politics, you know, Jesus didn't look at things in the same binary way that we do. Option A and option B. Jesus came along and said, I have a whole other option for you. So in the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, Jesus is about to face a series of tests from the religious leaders. Essentially, the leaders are trying to trip him up so that they'll have grounds to accuse him and shut down his ministry. So they begin asking him a series of trick questions. And one of those questions, it had to do with politics. One of them asked him, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It's a yes or no question, but here's why it's tricky. The Roman government didn't treat the Israelites, you know, God's people, fairly. They were under oppression from the government. So if Jesus answers yes, the religious leaders could accuse him of not being for Israel and they ruin his reputation. But if he answers no, he's basically in trouble being arrested and then taken away by the Roman government. It's a Jewish catch-22. It's actually a really clever question. But of course, Jesus is more clever. In verse 17, he gives his answer. 
Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So basically what he's saying with this answer is, you think, you foolish people, that there's only two options, but I'm going to show you a third option that you're not even thinking about. Yeah, and of course, Jesus' critics, they hated him for this because Jesus was stepping outside their boxes. And we can still see the same thing today when, as Christians, we step outside our political box. And actually, that was a reality that a guy named David French learned the hard way. So my name is David French. I'm a senior writer at National Review, and I am a columnist at Time magazine. Okay, so two things that you need to know about David French. One is that he's a writer for a bunch of big-time publications. Yeah, I heard him say Time Magazine. That's kind of like the MBA of writing, right? The other thing you need to know is that he is devoutly politically conservative. So I don't know if you caught it, but he said that he's a senior writer for the National Review. And the National Review, it was founded to help advance conservative principles. Okay, so like when you say conservative, what are we working with here? Like how conservative? Well, okay, so for example, uh, he's an Iraq war veteran. Uh, He writes in favor of pro-life issues, the NRA. He writes in favor of religious liberty. He critiques transgender bathrooms. Okay. So he's very influential in the politically conservative realm, but also in the Christian realm. In fact, he gets contacted frequently by almost every conservative Christian organization you can think of, uh, sending him press releases or seeing if he'll write a story for them. So when you're a part of that world, you're going to get on those lists. And then I go to National Review, where I write about these issues. And so then you're on the list because people want you to write about what their organizations are doing. So I'm on virtually every one of these religious conservative mailing lists that you could imagine, or I have been. And for years, conservatives love David, and they are listening to his writing. He is a card-carrying Republican. But then one day, in one email... That all changed. Oh, I was in my office at my house, I believe it was in the afternoon. So David was going through his emails like he always would. And as a reporter, he gets a lot of emails. So he's gotten good at like sorting through them quickly. But then in the midst of sorting, he suddenly stops. I saw my name front and center. So it made me sit up and take notice. But the thing about this particular email was not that he saw his name because it was addressed to him He saw his name because it was addressed about him. An email from the American Family Association, which is a pretty big Christian public advocacy organization, urging people to sign a petition condemning my so-called yellow journalism. Now, the American Family Association, it's a Christian activism group that focuses on addressing issues like preservation of marriage and the family, decency and morality, the sanctity of human life, All things that David affirms and had written about. But now, suddenly, the thing that they're petitioning against, it's him. Why? Like, what is their deal here? What did he do? Well, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Rachel. So we've asked some of our alumni to talk about their experience serving with Love Thy Neighborhood. And one of the people we heard from was Hannah Eland. So Hannah now lives in Washington, D.C., and she works for International Justice Mission. And here's what she had to say about her time serving with Love Thy Neighborhood. My time at LTN was a stepping stone for my development in my professional life. I firmly believe that every single person 
does kingdom work. You don't have to work at a nonprofit to do this. And the amazing thing is that God invites us into his story of justice for our broken society. He uses us to carry this out. So if you want to find your social justice internship supported by Christian community, head over to lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Love That Neighborhood Podcast, Jesse Eubanks. Lachlan Coffee. Today's episode is where the gospel meets politics. So we're following the story of David French, a popular conservative news writer. But one day while checking his email, he finds that his conservative allies have created a petition against him, claiming that he wrote an article in a, quote, biased brand of yellow journalism. So what was in the article? And also just pause for a moment and give me the definition of yellow journalism. Okay, so yellow journalism is a term used for news that's not based on fact, but rather based on sensationalism and exaggeration. It depends more on a shock factor than a real story to gain attention. So in a nutshell, this petition was calling David out on an article that he'd written titled Franklin Graham and the High Cost of the Lost Evangelical Witness. And here's David talking about what he had to say about Franklin Graham. He had, in 1998, written about Bill Clinton, saying that if Bill Clinton lied to his wife and daughter, then it's an open question as to who he wouldn't lie to, which was exactly right. I mean, it turns out he'd lie to the American people. He'd lie under oath. Okay, so Franklin Graham, he's the son of Billy Graham, the famous evangelist. And like his father, Franklin Graham is also an evangelist, but he also engages in political commentary. And in this particular instance, back in 1998, Graham was calling out the serious nature of the sexual misconduct of then-President Bill Clinton. So Franklin Graham raised a valid issue in 98. Then 20 years later, in 2018, in an interview, he said, the stuff between Trump and Stormy Daniels is really no one's business but his own, which was a a complete flip-flop. Of course, you know, Stormy Daniels is a porn star who said that she was bribed to keep an affair she had with Trump silent. I was just saying, you know, look, we have to have the whole the same standards for Republicans and Democrats. We can't excuse sexual misconduct and lies from Republicans and condemn sexual misconduct and sexual immorality from Democrats. I mean, shouldn't there be one singular moral standard that applies to both sides? So that makes sense to me. I mean, he's calling for integrity across the board here. So why did this create a petition against him? So basically, the goal of this petition is to uphold the integrity of Franklin Graham, but it was also to tell David French, you're out of bounds and you cannot speak about people within our party in this way. Here's part of the actual petition article. Here's what it says. National Review writer David French has wrongly accused Franklin Graham of having a double standard by not being openly critical of President Trump's past while being public in his criticism of other politicians. Certainly, no one would agree that President Trump's past is a perfect model of morality. But since our current president has taken the oath of public office, he has come nowhere near the glaring moral indecencies of Clinton while he served in office. This character assassination by David French is unconscionable and should not go unchallenged. So these are people that share David's uh, religiosities here, and now they're against him. Yeah, they would share his religious convictions and his political convictions. The idea that they would condemn me is kind of 
even three, four, five years ago, I would have thought that that's odd because, you know, I've been a defender of religious liberty, protected Christians on college campuses in particular. And so that was a bit of whiplash. But at this point, I'm getting I'm getting used to whiplash. It's like David was the owner of a club. All of a sudden he rolls in and his own bouncers don't even let him in. They kick him out. Well, and this is the first problem that polarized politics create for Christians. If you don't want to assimilate, then you're going to end up politically homeless. Oh, I see this all the time on social media. I mean, it's sing one note out of tune for your political party and then you're shunned. You're kicked to the curb in the comments section. People are throwing up reaction videos. It's a nightmare. Well, and this is exactly what happened to David Platt, right? The pastor who claims to be nonpartisan is sprung with an impromptu prayer for the president. And everyone's first question isn't, did you do the right thing? It's whose side are you on? Uh, And we talked about how this negative polarization makes you hate or fear the other side, but it can also make you fear your own side. I began to see that a lot of people of faith felt like they couldn't really maintain their convictions and run for office. So this is Justin Gibney. Uh, He's an attorney as well as a political strategist. That means that he helps run campaigns. And he started seeing this idea of political homelessness actually on both sides of the aisle. It got to the point where it became a given that on certain social issues, you would have to compromise or surrender your convictions in order to even be considered to run. But at the same time, while that was going on in kind of the Democratic Party, I had friends in the Republican Party saying, man, now, I, you know, you feel like you have to surrender your convictions. I, ha- I feel like I have to surrender my compassion. OK, so here's what's going on. The reality is that there are positive things and negative things about all of our political parties, both progressive and conservative. And polarization tells us that we have to accept everything about our party. No questions asked. But as Christians, you know, that doesn't sit well with what we see in God's word. And here's why. Okay, Lachlan, I'm going to go into some broad strokes and some murky waters here, but I'm going to paint with a really broad brush. So just stay with me. I'm buckled in. Generally speaking, the progressive party tends to emphasize empathy and compassion, but it comes at the cost of absolute morality. So here's how Justin puts it. I do think progressives have an understanding and more of an appreciation for compassion and saying, hey, your circumstances do matter, right? Everything's not necessarily equal. What I think progressives miss is that even when you talk about love, even when you talk about justice, it has to have form. And so without truth, without absolute truth and saying this is right and this is wrong, your love can actually become distorted. Your justice can become distorted. And on the flip side, the conservative party tends to uphold truth and uphold morality, but often it comes at the cost of compassion and mercy. I do appreciate how conservatives focus on human dignity when it comes to the unborn, the appreciation of family and mediating institutions. Sometimes there is a lack of compassion. There's a lack of understanding for those who are different and When you don't take the time to understand people, you may not completely understand their plight. It's kind of like this analogy. You know, you have one pair of pants that they don't fit us, but they're like our dress pants. And so every now and then we get them out for dressy occasions. But they're tight, they're uncomfortable, but yet you wear them, right? And most of the time you end up forcing yourself into this pair of pants nonetheless. And that's what it feels like for Christians in our political system. 
It's like if I'm going to go in, these are the only pants I get to wear. My only other choice is don't go at all. Assimilate or withdraw. In which case we lose our ability to speak the gospel truth into the world around us. But the sense of homelessness became personal for Justin when he earned a spot at the Democratic National Convention. So in 2012, I ended up running to be a delegate at the Democratic National Convention, ended up uh, winning in the 5th District, go out to to Charlotte for that uh, Democratic National Convention. Now, of course, part of the purpose of the National Convention is to narrow down a presidential and vice presidential candidate for your party. But it's also for working to solidify the party's platform as a whole. And because he's a Christian, one of the issues to be voted on had particular interest to Justin. They were trying to decide whether to keep the phrase God given in the Democratic platform or keep it or take it out or, you know, something of that nature. So the issue on the table was whether or not to keep the phrase God given in the Democratic policy language. Now, the way it works is that first you vote with the other people from your individual state, but then everyone comes together for one large vote. Well, when all the states came together, there was a voice vote, meaning whoever was the loudest would win. Wait, so you're saying like getting God given in there is based on a screaming contest. Like, is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> Basically. That's crazy. That sounds like how three-year-olds would come up with this. Uh, well, and the outcome, honestly, it wasn't all that surprising. It was very clear that the people who wanted it out or didn't want it in the platform were louder than the people who thought it should be in the platform. And that spoke to me. And this was a really pivotal revelation for Justin. You know, he thought government isn't representing everyone. It's representing whoever's louder. And he realized that people with a political home were more apt to be vocal than those without a home. But I left that space saying that I have to do something. So Justin decided like he wanted to find a way to give Christians a political home. So he started by simply having a small group full of these ragtag Christians that are working in all levels of politics. It was like a Bible study slash support group. And these were people who ran their, you know, they ran their county party or they ran campaigns just like I did, managed campaigns. And we would just come together and talk about what was happening. And everybody was uncomfortable with what was happening around us. But no one felt like they had a voice. No one, everyone felt like if I, if I say something, then I'm going to be, you know, blacklisted and I don't want that to happen. And so this small group of people, you know, folks that had been identifying as Republicans and Democrats and third party You know, it helped these folks realize I'm not the only one who feels alone here. I'm not the only one having trouble because I don't fully assimilate to either of these parties. And it gave them a sense of home with each other, even if it wasn't a home recognized on a ballot. And just like Justin saw at that national convention, if you have a home, you're less intimidated and you end up being a lot more vocal. But one thing I noticed once we met, everybody was emboldened. When we would be at a party meeting or something like that, they would be more likely to speak up in those meetings and do things of that nature because they knew they weren't alone. And a light bulb went off to me. And I said, okay, there's something here. There's something to this because I see my people being emboldened. I need to grow this. So today, that small group, it's actually not so small a group anymore. As it grew, Justin and his team, they turned it into a full-fledged organization It's called the AND Campaign. 
happen. And the thought behind the and campaign was we have this political landscape and this cultural landscape where you're either about justice or you're about values and more order. Right. And we were like, well, we're kind of about both. And when we read the gospel, the gospel is about more order and justice. It's about love and truth, compassion and conviction. I mean, we talk about this all the time on this podcast, right? That it isn't truth or grace, it's truth and grace. You know, we need both. But in a polarized system, you're forced to choose one or the other. And to be faithful Christians, we cannot do that. Because politics touches every aspect of society, for better or for worse. So what you eat, what your children learn at school, how immigrants are treated at the border, what is a crime, and politics presents us with a great tool for loving our neighbor. You know, and for Justin, that's just what his political affiliation is. It's only a tool. I may agree with them on most things, but it's a tool. And I can always say you guys are wrong and I'm actually not going to support you on this because it's not part of my identity. My identity is in Christ. I identify with the folks in my church. I think it just gets back to the truth that, you know, we want to be very careful about how much we uphold our own political party. Because as Christians, we function with the belief that man-made systems are broken systems. And it doesn't just mean that the other side is broken. It means our side is broken, too. And the only eternal truth that's worth upholding is one that isn't broken, and that's only Jesus. We're hitting on this issue of polarization and the effect it has on Christians. But I thought you said that there were two problems. Yeah. So the first problem of polarization is that it leaves Christians politically homeless. The second problem with polarization is coming up right after the break. In today's episode of the Love That Neighborhood podcast, we're exploring where the gospel meets politics. And one of the things that we're convinced about is that people can have really different ideas about politics and still be in community with each other. And that requires friendship. And if you'd like to learn more about how to build robust friendships, check out our other podcast, Love That Neighborhood Presents, The Enneacast. And specifically, check out episode number 29, The Enneagram and Friendship. Well, they're not questions that you ask, like, on the first friend date, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, right, 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 right. You yeah. know, I, I don't recommend asking these to new friends, but let The Enneagram be a way in which you can express yourself to your friends more clearly and more correctly. Check out Love Thy Neighborhood Presents, The Enneacast, by searching for the Enneacast wherever it is that you listen to podcasts or by going to lovethatneighborhood.org slash Enneacast. Welcome back to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Lachlan Coffey. Today, where the gospel meets politics. So we talked about one problem of polarization, which is that it creates a sense of homelessness for Christians in the political arena. But what's the other problem? So it's one problem that's probably not that hard to guess. The second problem of polarization is that it destroys our ability to talk to our neighbor. Because let's be honest, like we don't know how to talk about politics with each other. And to illustrate this, late night host Jimmy Kimmel, he went out and asked both Republicans and Democrats to describe the other party. And here's what people said. Describe Democrats. Uh, Just a general disdain for God and country, in my opinion. Most of them want to give everything away. Maybe brainwashed. I can't describe all Democrats, but it's my um, learned opinion that the Democrat Party is a crime syndicate, not a real political party. (laughs) What are Republicans like? 
People that don't have a clue. Close-minded. Stuffy. They're mean. In some sense, they, some of them are racist. That really escalated quickly. Well, there. that escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, Facebook, uh, they put out a statistic that says that 25% of its users said that they have unfriended or blocked someone because of political posts. You know, why do we not know how to talk when it comes to other people's politics? Well, that's a question that two Kentucky moms started to ask themselves. We're out of practice. I mean, we stopped doing it. We decided that we'll just agree to disagree or we don't want to get in a fight and we don't want to have any conflict with each other. So this is Sarah Stewart Holland. Uh, She's a Christian and registered as a Democrat. But her friend, Beth Silvers, who is also a Christian, is registered as a Republican. Here's Beth. Yeah, I think the less that we talk about it, the more it becomes almost like a secret that you're nurturing. And you know how when you have a secret that you're nurturing, that secret becomes even more important. So Sarah and Beth, they first met in college, but their friendship really got going when Sarah started blogging. Uh, She mostly was blogging about life as a mom, which was what attracted Beth. But she also sometimes talked about politics. And since Sarah's political views were often different, Beth actually decided to start messaging her about it. And what they found out was it's really hard to talk politics with the other side in a civil manner. But also they were really tired of the mudslinging and the backbiting. I mean, I certainly kind of arrogantly thought like, let's show everybody how this is done for real in a way that's healthy for American democracy. So Sarah kept posting these blogs that were political in nature and Beth would read them and then she would make comments down in the comment section and then Sarah would respond to her comments and then Beth would respond to her comments. And so they realized after a while that they were actually having this public conversation back and forth between the two of them about their very different ideas on politics. And this led Sarah actually to have an idea. You know, we started having these conversations around the blog and then I said, hey, let's start a podcast. So Sarah gets this idea, you know, why not make these conversations even more public? She knew that she wasn't the only one struggling to talk about these things with people on the other side of the aisle. You know, why not create a podcast around it as a resource for others? Maybe people would be interested in hearing a Republican and a Democrat have hopefully a civil conversation about big political issues. So Sarah pitches this idea to Beth and Beth says yes, but she's really reluctant. I want to say that for me, it was not exciting at first. It was terrifying But I was really nervous about doing this. And I thought, what are people going to think about this? I could totally relate. I mean, for me, I would never be on a podcast. Yeah, everyone's going to hear your voice and know what you think. Yes. Well, and then on top of it, like, let's address real hot button issues. Oh, yeah, we definitely don't address hot button topics on this podcast. I mean, here's the thing. It's one thing to sit down with a friend over coffee and to talk about healthcare or immigration or tax cuts. But I think it's another thing to sit down and talk about it and then like broadcast it to the world. The fact that like we could not just get on and talk to each other without greater preparation and really know what we were talking about. And so the pressure around it started to build. But they decided that they were going to give it a try. So they sat down at the mic, a Democrat and a Republican, and the rules were simple. No yelling, no throwing someone else under the bus, and give each other a lot of grace. 
A lot of people sit alone, think deeply about issues, and then write down their opinions for everyone to consume. But when you do that, it's really easy to do it from an orientation of, here's why the other side is wrong. The way that we do it, I'm talking often to the other side. So as they worked on recording the show, they discovered some key principles when it comes to talking politics with someone on the other side. And I want to share three of those with you. So the first is take off your jersey. So often, you know, we approach politics as a conversation that we need to win, and that there's a winner, there's a loser, and it's up to us to represent our team. And there is a place for addressing issues that way, but that's not a conversation. That's called a debate. And debating is actually a format that Sarah and Beth tried in their early stages of making their show. Because we've been watching a lot of debates from the presidentials. So we thought, oh, maybe we can do this better. And then we got into it and just learned that like the format itself so steers you into a lane of being right and trying to win every question and seem more informed. So in their book, I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, Sarah and Beth write that talking with our jerseys on actually prevents us from having the kind of meaningful conversation necessary to implement any kind of real helpful change. So the second principle that they found when talking about politics was start with yourself. You know, one of the early episodes they tried to record was on the topic of welfare. And Sarah said that that was an eye-opening experience for her. I worked backwards, right? I said, I believe in welfare because of my values. Instead of saying, because of these values, is welfare the best expression of those? It just sort of it held up a mirror to my own behavior and said, like, well, what's the goal? What, is, what are we trying to do here? So just instead of working backwards from I'm a Democrat, this is how I feel. How do I back that up? I tried to switch the direction and say, these values are important to me. Is this working and expressing them in a way that I think is effective? So do some self-examination. You know, what are your values and why are they important to you? So first, take off your jersey. Second, start with yourself. And the last principle is to exit the echo chamber. To illustrate what that means to exit the echo chamber, here's what Beth had to say about her experience with their welfare episode. I found myself articulating the typical Republican position on welfare because it matched some of my personal values that I believe that we want to encourage people to work hard. I worried about a system that incentivized people not to do that. But what I didn't understand when we started the conversation is that a lot of the ideas that I was mimicking from that perspective had already been tried in the welfare reforms that the Clinton administration signed off on and to not great results. If you go on the internet, it's much easier to go do some research that backs up what you already think. And so there's accountability in having a partner who disagrees with you because you must face the things that don't validate what you think. But here's what's crazy is, you know, and maybe this has always been true, but man, it feels more intense now than it ever has in my life, which is we live in echo chambers. Like we seek out the voices that we want to hear. Yeah. I mean, literally think about it. Yeah. What do you do when there's somebody that's on your Facebook feed consistently posting things that annoy you? I mute them. Yeah. We just block them. Yeah. And what happens over time is I eventually teach myself, I don't have to listen to anything that I don't like hearing. 
Well, and, the, and those 24-hour news stations have to be angled towards my echo, you know? That's exactly right. Yeah. Like, it's not even enough for news to truly try to be unbiased. News literally carries bias as well. Yeah. And when we don't like it, we just say that that news is inaccurate or we dismiss it. Well, as you might imagine, you know, lots of people were interested in tuning into their show. In fact, Sarah and Beth are still making this podcast today. Their show is called Pantsuit Politics, and they call it the home of grace-filled political conversations. You know, I'm talking to a person who I know is in a different place than I am about some of these issues, and I want to stay in relationship with Sarah. And so that really shifts the way I'm going to talk about it. it. It means that I cannot convince myself that everything is okay because the other side is so bad. Because here I am sitting with a representative of the other side who I think is a fundamentally wonderful person. And one of the things that I love about this is that this is the same kind of stuff that we see even among the disciples, right? In the disciples, Jesus has a zealot who supported a very particular political agenda related to the Jewish people and the Roman government. And then he also had a tax collector who literally worked for the very government that the first guy wanted to overthrow. And Jesus ends up speaking into their lives in such a way that it changes fundamentally who they are. But he doesn't tell either one of them, this is who you should vote for or this is who you should support. So I want to leave you with one final thought from Justin Gibney. So Justin actually recently visited Louisville and spoke at a local church on a Sunday morning. And he said something that I think is so helpful for all of us. Here is his call for Christians in politics. A Christian can choose a political party. There's nothing wrong with that. But a Christian cannot choose between love and truth because they're not in conflict. They're interdependent. Ideological conservatism and theological conservatism are not always the same thing. The far left's conception of social justice is not always consistent with a biblical understanding. And as a result, when it comes to political ideology, to be conservative or to be progressive at all times and on every single issue is not only intellectually lazy and easily manipulated, I would say that it's not faithful. As we go into 2020 and beyond, Christians on both sides of the political spectrum will need to ask themselves, will we be accomplices or cross-bearers? Will we add to the tribalism and division, or will we be models of civility and reconciliation? I once heard a pastor say, you know you're following Jesus when those outside the church can't tell which political party you are for. As Christians, we need to be confusing to Republicans and Democrats where they can't quite peg us and put us into a box. We are confusing their ideology to a large part because that's not our ideology. Yeah, because our ideology isn't always conservative and it's not always progressive. You know, being conservative on every issue, it ignores the reality that God does not want oppression to be conserved. And being progressive on every issue ignores the reality that God's truth cannot be improved upon. So the goal isn't to be a faithful conservative or a faithful progressive. The goal is to be faithful to God. If 
you'd like to learn more about the AND campaign, you can visit their website at andcampaign.org. You can also check out Justin Gibney's podcast, The Church Politics Podcast. That's a podcast where they talk about the big issues of the week politically. For more from Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers and their podcast, Pantsuit Politics, head over to pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. For even more resources on this topic or to hear past episodes of this podcast, visit our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash ltnpodcast. Special thanks to our interviewees for this episode, David French, Justin Gibney, Sarah Stewart-Holland, and Beth Silvers. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-host today is Lachlan Coffey. And our producer, technical director, editor, and tyrannical dictator is Rachel Zabo. Additional editing by Resonate Recordings. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Poddington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. Theme music and commercial music by Murphy DX. Apply for your social justice internship supported by Christian Community by visiting lovethyneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. <laughs>